It's great to be here, and I, of course, bring you greetings from our Gainesville campus, my first time here in South Florida at this campus, and so good to see all the smiling faces and good to meet the team. Um, I get a chance to sit on a meeting every week with Pastor John, and so you all know how great he is, and I get to experience just his humility, his wisdom, and just, uh, just all that he brings. So I'm excited to be here and excited to, um, to share with you this morning. Of course, we're talking about some difficult sayings. So we're going to get into some things that Jesus has said, and we know how amazing and wonderful Jesus is and what he means to each and every one of us. But he's also said some things that can be very challenging, right? And so today we're going to get into another one of those difficult sayings. Um, so let's turn to Matthew 10. We'll restart reading at verse 34. And so thinking about this, this uh, entire chapter of Matthew here in 10, Jesus is sending his disciples out. So he's given them instruction as he sends them out. Uh, the very first part of this chapter, he, he calls his 12 disciples and he says, I give you authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. He called them and he says, I want you to go with these instructions. And as we get through chapter 10, we know Pastor Malik talked wonderfully last week talking about shaking the dust off, right? And so again, another difficult saying, but other things that we hear in addition to shaking the dust off, he was saying things like, you know, um, I'm sending you out as sheep amidst the wolves, He's saying things like, he that endures will be saved. He says, do not fear those who kill the, kill the body, but only fear God. And then in verse 34, he gives them more instruction. He starts in verse 34 by saying, do not think, right? Do not think. In other translations, he talks to this. This same statement is trans translated, do not assume or do not suppose. We all know if we've been following Jesus any amount of time, we know so many different things about Jesus. But what I'm asking you right now is to, just for a minute, throw all those things away. Why? Because that's what Jesus is saying. He says, do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. So we know that Jesus himself is called the Prince of Peace. But hold up, throw that away. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I have come to bring, I have not come to bring peace but a sword. He goes on to say, for I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So let's pray. So, Father, we come right now in the name of Jesus. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for the very words of Christ that are life to us. And I ask you, Lord God, even as I share today, Lord, that your anointing and your spirit is upon me to share these words of life, Father. And we receive it now in Jesus' name. You may have your seats. Difficult sayings of Jesus. Now, if you're new here, and I didn't see the hands that went up that are new to this church, maybe if you're new to following Jesus, you might even see these statements where Jesus is asking us, you know, he's saying, hey, I want you to love me more than you love your parents. I want you to, uh, I want to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother. He says, your enemies are going to be people in your own household. He's saying, I want you to forsake all that you want to do, all that you have, and I want you to follow me. Now, if Pastor John got up here and said that, we'd look at him crazily, 
right? We'd say, forsake all, love you more than my parents, love you more than my children, Pastor John. How can you ask such things? And so even looking at Jesus saying these statements, it's like, you know, Jesus, who do you think you are at some level, right? Remember, we're throwing everything that we know about Jesus away for just a minute because he says, do not think, do not suppose, do not assume that you know me because even though I'm the Prince of Peace, today I come to bring the sword, right? And if, and if somebody, especially in these times, holds a sword in their hand, it's almost like somebody coming in here today with an AR-15 or if I got on stage with an AK-47, I'd have everybody, I'd either have all of your attention or all of you would immediately run out of this place, right? And so Jesus in his day said, I do not come to bring peace, but a sword. So I bring my prop out. And so if we think about Jesus, Jesus is normally this humble servant of God. He says, honor your father and mother. I am the prince of peace. All these things that he normally says, but today it's different. Today, I got my AK-47. Today, I have something that in Jesus' time, this was the weapon of the day. And we know that if I pull out this weapon, it's trouble, right? There's going to be drama. If you pull out a sword, you know, we used to say even back in the day, hey, if you pull a gun on somebody, you better use it, right? Things like that. So if you pull this sword out, then that means there has to be some things that are going to be cut away. And so today, we're going to talk about those things. And the biggest thing that has to be cut, you know, is this idea of self, right? And so I have my lovely wife right here with me, Lakeisha. Uh, she's a, um, uh, she just, uh, congratulations to her because she was just promoted to full professor at the University of Florida in biomedical engineering. She's brilliant. She's beautiful. She's so many different things. She's a great mother, a great friend, a prayer warrior. If, you, if I had her come up here and pray, we'd all be, you know, slain in the spirit because she just prays so powerfully. Then I also have my daughter, Sophia and Sage. Sophia's in kids, and Sage is sitting here with me. And so when I think about my family, of course, I love my family. I love my daughters. I love my wife. Um, but at the same time, you know, anybody that has children in here, you know that raising kids, you know, comes with its challenges. I have two girls, 10 and 8, and they're, you know, just like any other children. They love each other. They play well with one another. They like to do a lot of the same things. But there are also times where they want their own way right? We know that, um, you know, they can be playing great together, but no matter what it is, if there is a decision that has to be made in the house, whether it's what are we going to eat? You know, every Friday it's our Sabbath, so we typically don't cook. We typically either eat out or order in. We got to figure out, you know, exactly what we want to eat. One child says pizza, the other side child says something else. And of course, no one wants to give in, right? Because everybody, well, because they both want their way. Even coming into the hotel room last night, they come into the room, we have this double room, you know, two beds. I want this bed. I want this side of the bed, right? And so there's even a fight as to what side of the bed they're going to sleep on. And so at every occasion, you know, even though they're great girls, they're great daughters, they can be very selfish or self-centered when it comes to the other child, right? Because this is a this really just reflects the sin nature in which we were born into, right? We were born into a space where we want our way. And if we think about this word selfishness, it's really what we're going to talk about today, this, this core of selfishness. I may ask you, is anybody in here selfish? And nobody, no matter how long you've been following Jesus, whether you're a follower of Christ, whether you're not following Christ, no matter what it is, nobody would raise their hand. 
Why? Because when we think about that word, it really has a very bad and negative connotation. Nobody wants to be selfish. We don't want to be around people that are selfish. We don't want friends. We don't want family. We do not like selfish people. But at the same time, Jesus is saying, instead of me being the Prince of Peace normally, there is some aspect of our lives that I really need to shed and to get away from because I want to use you and use all of us to allow my kingdom to come to this earth, right? And so this is the thing. So even though Sophia and Sage, they're great daughters, you know, great sisters, they can be very selfish when it comes to one another. We all can be very selfish as well. First Timothy, we don't have this uh, on, on the screen, but First Timothy, I'm sorry, Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 1 says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Meaning people would say, hey, now we're in the last days. There will become times of difficulty. And verse 2 says, for people will be lovers of self. Right. And so the very first thing that he mentions when he's going to list off all these other sins and all these other challenges, the first thing that he mentions is that people are going to be lovers of themselves. Right. Lovers of self. And we might translate this word to selfishness, but really it's not even selfishness. It's this idea of being self-centered. Right. Self-centered. And, no, and so now if I say self-centered as opposed to selfish, maybe we can identify a little bit with at times being self-centered. Right. We all want self-care. We all want to make sure that we're taken care of um, and all those kinds of things. And so maybe self-centered at times might describe all of us at any one particular point in time. But he says people will be lovers of themselves. Then it goes on to say lovers of money, proud arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, all these things, but it start, starts with us being lovers of ourselves or more self-centered, right? And so here we're talking about the problem that we need to address today, this idea of us being self-centered. And self-centered is a problem, being self-centered or selfishness or selfishness is a problem for everyone. I was doing some research as I was just studying and preparing for this message and, um, and really trying to see, you know, whether it's being self-centered or being selfish, what are the real challenges, right? So what do the psychologists and uh, say, you know, the physiological effects of selfishness is? I read somewhere it says, uh, selfish behavior can lead to a range of negative psychological effects. It can result in feelings of guilt and remorse, increased stress and anxiety, decreased self-esteem, and a decreased sense of life satisfaction. People who are constantly focused on themselves may also have a diminished capacity for empathy, which can make it difficult for them to form and maintain healthy and meaningful relationships. Read somewhere else that it says, physiologically, the increased stress and anxiety associated with selfishness can lead to various health problems, including high blood pressure, heart disease, weakened immune systems, and other stress-related illnesses. Chronic selfishness has been linked to mental health disorders like narcissistic and antisocial personality disorders. And so this selfishness is not just, you know, a problem in terms of our ability to follow and walk with Jesus, but it also represents now the, the, the very... The, the, the devil now being able to destroy our lives in very natural ways because we're walking in selfishness. And we can all, again, be so self-centered and selfish. And so today, of course, as we read these scriptures, if we think about what these various passages mean, this is really the sin or the idea that Jesus wants to come across. That he says, I need to make sure that I bring this sword to cut away from you anything or any thoughts that would prevent you from serving me fully and completely. 
If we think about our culture that we live in and us following the American dream, us all wanting good jobs to provide our families, I want to go on four or five vacations a year, I want to be able to buy a nice house, a car, I want to buy a motorcycle. My daughter saw the boats as we were driving in today. They say, hey, we want one of those big, big yachts, you know, that we uh, drove past on our way from the hotel. And of course, I said, okay, baby, we'll work on that, you know, we'll see. You know, and we want to follow this dream. Why? Because our culture says, hey, that's what we should pursue. I was thinking about, I was uh, Pastor Mike last week, he did a communications cohort. And in this communication cohort, he mentioned Benny Hinn. Uh, many of you may be familiar with Benny Hinn, but um, he's, uh, he's historically been what we might call a prosperity preacher, right? Benny Hinn. And he actually, uh, Mike was at a session, I want to say something to this effect, where he was sitting in there. He doesn't endorse all the things that Benny Hinn says, but he said he was sitting in this particular session where Benny Hinn was preaching. And he said there was, you know, this one time where Benny Hinn just had this revelation, he had a revelation that everything that he teaches in America has no impact in this area of India where he was teaching at this particular time. He said he got on stage and even though he was going to go with his normal kind of routine of, hey, you give and you tithe and you take your resources and you give to this place and you'll be blessed if you do so, he was speaking to a group of people that were totally impoverished. Like their entire lives were just trying to find, not even finding what to eat uh, and things like that, but it was just such a level of poverty in this area that he says, everything that I teach must be a lie because if it's not applicable here, then it shouldn't be applicable anywhere, right? And so this idea of even our culture and how we do church is really, um, uh, it's all, or, or how we do church is really based on our culture and this idea of culture can be things that are unseen. And so that's what we'll get into today. The th first thing that we're going to say is that Jesus came to bring the sword. He came to bring the sword, first of all, to our core. Everybody say core. Everybody say core. Core. The core is who you are, how you identify. We know that today you can identify as anything in America today. If you're a man, you can identify as a woman. If you're a woman, you can identify as a man. If you're white, you can identify as black. If you're black, you can identify as white, you can identify as a dog, as a sheep, as a goat, whatever you want to identify as, you can identify as. But now Jesus is saying that I want to bring the sword to who you think you are, right? He came to bring the sword. Because if we can get to the core, right, if, if the core of ourselves, you know, if we think about an apple, if no matter how good an apple looks on the outside, if you cut into that apple and there is rottenness in that core, you're going to throw the whole thing away. Not only that, but that apple will not bear fruit because the core where the seeds are, are unhealthy and they're rotten. And so in order to get into this, and there's different things or different areas of um, our lives that Jesus wants to cut away, but he has to start with our core. And so... He said the same thing so many times, right? Uh, verse 39 is what we're focusing on now. So we'll start at the bottom and go back to the top. It says in Matthew 10, verse, 34, verse 39, he says, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever finds his life will lose it, but whoever gives his life or loses his life for my sake will find it. Right? This, is, this, this statement here is so important that Jesus said it multiple times. It's not just that he said it once in, in Matthew and then Luke said it a different way uh, when he wrote, when the gospel of Luke was being written and the gospel of Mark, you know, the other synoptic gospel was re being written in another way and he said it there. No, he said this multiple times and there are multiple accounts of him making these exact same statements. So he said it in Matthew 10 as he was uh, sending his disciples out. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, when he rebuked Peter, 
right? When Peter, when he told them, hey, I'm going to die this death, Peter said, no, you're not going to die this death. And, you know, Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. These were the next words out of his mouth, right? These are the next things that he said. He said in Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And so the first thing that Jesus wants to cut in our lives is our core. And so just to give you a quick example for me, um, of course, you know, right now I'm, I'm, I'm the uh, hub pastor at Greenhouse Church. I've been uh, working there now for about two years, right? About two years being on staff. Um, I was uh, been attending over the last five years uh, Greenhouse. My wife and I, we moved to... Um, Gainesville from Starkville, Mississippi, before we worked uh, to move to UF, University of Florida, we worked at Mississippi State University. But many, 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 many years before that, um, Lakeisha and I met at Mississippi State University. I grew up uh, in Chicago the first 13 or 14 years of my life, and then right before high school, I moved to Jackson, Mississippi, where we'll, we're sending uh, some missionaries. So I grew up in Jackson, Mississippi, went to high school there, then went to Mississippi State, of course, I started out, I knew I was going to be a computer scientist. Uh, I was always into computers, so that was my major. Um, and I started out, and I did very, very poorly the first couple of years, or really the first year of my uh, education, right? I knew, but, but my goal really was not to, you know, make straight A's or anything like that. I knew computers, right? I knew that was my thing. And so let me go ahead and spend four years in college, graduate, get a job. Right? That was my mindset. That was the culture in some ways that I was raised up in. Go to school, get a good education, get a job, and work for the rest of your life. Right? And, that was, and that, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that because that was what I was thinking about and what I wanted to do. Um, but I started out not doing very well. You know, I had like a 1.9 GPA at the end of my freshman year. I was on probation, almost got kicked out. A lot of the students, a lot of the kids from, um, that I you know, hung out with, they didn't make it to their sophomore years. Because, of course, if your GPA was too low, you were put on pr probation the second semester. If you didn't pull that up the second semester, then, of course, you got kicked out of school. So I was around a lot of people that didn't do very well. But so I had to turn it around. I said, let me go ahead and work. I found a, an internship or a co-op, and I worked this co-op for uh, several semesters. And I figured out, yes, this is what I want to do, you know, be in computing. And as I, as I work to be a computer scientist and to, to, to graduate to get this job, I'll be set because, you know, I'm getting all this experience now while I'm in college. And so when I graduate, I'll have this job set and lined up. But then I get to a point where I'm about to graduate, and all these things that I identified as, right, someone that's going to be a computer scientist, that's going to, you know, graduate, get a job, work for the company where I interned. You know, Jesus, he came and he brought the sword to everything that I said that I was going to do. That even though this was my intention, I actually met a girl. This girl was actually coming to Mississippi State to work on her PhD, right, uh, from LSU, from Louisiana State University. And then I met her and I'm like, oh, I can't just go and do this thing that I think I want to do. I think God has something for me that's a whole lot better, right? And so he interrupted my plans. He stopped everything that I thought I was going to do, and he allowed me to see this individual and see that there was more than me just graduating and getting a job and, and just working, right? But there's ways that I can contribute that will go beyond even that. And so I decided to stay 
and get my master's degree, eventually got a PhD, and then now I am a you know, doctor, I work at Mississippi State University as a faculty member, and this was something that I never thought that I would do. But when Lakeisha came to Mississippi State, she was, all, she was coming to pursue her PhD. Right? She came to pursue her PhD. I was hanging around her and her group of friends, and they really changed my mind or how I thought about myself and what I could accomplish coming from a 1.9 GPA, not thinking about grad school, really thinking about getting out of school, to really denying that person and then turning into someone else. So in this case, Jesus came to destroy uh, the thoughts that I had about myself. And then we'll put a statement on the screen. You know, this idea is that if we are self-focused, Right? If we're self-focused with anything, like if I focus on myself, any problems or issues that I have, then my problems, those problems are magnified, right? So if I focus on myself, all of my limitations, oh, I have a 1.9 GPA. You know, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm just here to be a computer scientist, to get a good job and go and, and work at this particular company, and this is going to be a great life for me. Right? I'm thinking about all of my limitations because at that time I was very self-focused. I just wanted to make some money. You know, I came up uh, out of, from a household that uh, we didn't have a whole lot, right? And so me getting a job and making maybe 40 or 60 or 70 or $80,000 a year was like the epitome of what I thought I could do at the time. And that, there's nothing wrong with any of that. But at the same time, it, I had to allow God to come in and use others to cut away, you know, that idea that I had of myself. And so the very first thing that God wants to cut is our core. The second thing, everybody say comfort. Comfort, right? So this idea of comfort, what does he say in the next scripture up? He says uh, in verse 38, it says, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And so when we think about this word cross, Jesus says, hey, I want you to take your cross, right? And again, if we take, just like this sword, if we take this word cross in the context of the time that we're living in, this idea of a cross, when you say it way back then, was, would have been very uh, detrimental to hear. Like, hey, I want you to carry your cross. Because in this Roman culture, we know that people were crucified. And to carry a cross means that I am going to have to carry this shame and this, uh, this, this, these just ideas of, of, of very low self-worth worth because this cross represented the actual worst of the worst of what could happen to someone. And Jesus is saying, I want you to take your cross and to follow me. So what he's saying is that I want you to get rid of this idea of comfort. Like, he's not here. He didn't come necessarily to allow us or, or for us to have a very comfortable existence. He came so that we can be used to establish and to make his kingdom, allow his kingdom to come to pass. Amen? What is his great commission? He says, go ye into all the world. We just prayed over the missionaries. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, right? And so if there is not in some way where I'm contributing to that, then that, is, that means I need to step out of my comfort zone and, and, and take on some level of discomfort so that God can use me. So everybody say comfort. When we think about this idea of comfort, we're thinking about uh, this, this, this concept of, or this idea of cr the cross. Rather, we're thinking about this idea of self-denial. Suffering and persecution, you know, identifying, of course, with Christ and his death. We're thinking about obedience to his word and commitment to him, right? This is what God is asking us to do. Um, and so now, if I 
fast forward to my story in terms of this idea of comfort. Uh, of course, I came to Gainesville, my wife and I, to work uh, at the University of Florida. Uh, we worked at Mississippi State for several years, so by the time we got to Gainesville, we were associate professors. And if there's one thing that you want as a professor, you really want to be what they call tenured, right? Everybody knows what tenure, you may not know what tenure means, but this idea of tenured means that they cannot fire you. So once you get tenured at the university, you have something that is so valuable because basically now you have this opportunity to work for the university for the rest of your life, basically until you retire. And so academics fight for this idea of tenure because this tenure really means that, yes, you're in a very comfortable position because I know that I'm guaranteed a job uh, and up throughout you know, my retirement. And so even thinking about me now being the hub pastor at Gain, uh, at Green, of Greenhouse Gainesville, you know, God had to really cut this idea of, of, of comfort um, from my life as well. Because, you know, if I think about, you know, coming to UF, which is uh, one of the, the, the number five, you know, top ranked school in the, in the, in the United States in terms of uh, the academics um, program at UF, so number five ranking. Uh, it's a billion-dollar research enterprise, so they pay their faculty and their staff really, really well. Um, and then to hear God say, I'm taking you out of your comfort zone, and I want you to go work at a church where you're going to have to take more than a, a $100,000 pay cut to be able to do so, right? You know, $100,000 pays for lots and lots of comfort, right? That's lots of comfort that I can get with that $100,000. But now working at a church, right, we're, especially Greenhouse, where, as we've said today, we endeavor to, to give 50% of all that we spend to missions. We can't necessarily pay our pastors like the University of Florida pays its professors. And so you have to understand that. And so just another example, I, I completed, a, you know, I was working for, at UF for about three years as an associate professor in computer science. And... Um, I knew that God was calling me to something different, right? And so I enrolled in the Greenhouse School of Ministry. Uh, after I enrolled in the Greenhouse School of Ministry, um, again, I met with uh, one of our uh, uh, executive pastors there, and we had a good conversation, and I just really felt that, 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 that God was really pulling me, you know, out of academia, number one. But then not only that, he was saying, now I want you to go and work at Greenhouse because my goal was to get more involved in ministry, and so doing that really was saying, I'm cutting away at all this that you've worked for. So 17 or 18 years prior, you know, I hear God saying, hey, stay at school. You know, uh, don't think about just going to work for this company that you've been working for as an intern. I want you to stay here. I got this beautiful, you know, wife for you uh, and Lakeisha. But at the same time, and, and I want you to be a PhD. And I got my PhD and I began to work in that realm. But then now he turns around and says, now I'm ready to cut that comfort once again away from you. Go and work at Greenhouse because there's some things that I need you to do. And so if we think about that, I had to deny myself. I had to carry my cross and take on. And because one of the things that happens, you know, this was about the same time that uh, or as we were wrapping up, you know, kind of the, the very um, tenuous impacts of the pandemic you know, many people were kind of reflecting on their careers. And so when I would tell my colleagues that, you know what, I am actually leaving this, you know, job as an associate professor to go and work at a church, of course, I got lots of crazy looks. You know, I got lots of crazy looks. Um, but at the same time, I just knew that this was one area where God was calling me to, to lay down this comfort and to begin to do this thing. 
And if we can keep going up in this uh, passage, you know, Jesus is saying, do not think that I've come to bring peace, but a sword. He says, I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his whole own household. And so this last thing that Jesus wants to cut is this idea of culture. Everyone say culture. Culture. Now, this, the reason we started with the core, like I said before, if your core is riding, everything around you is riding. Um, and so that was important. But this idea of culture this can be the hardest thing to, 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 to really adjust or to make changes to because this is the one thing that we don't see. You know, when we think about this idea of culture, we all are, you know, many of us are Americans and we grew up, many of us, in the American culture. And so we think like Americans. And so even that example with Benny Hinn in terms of how we do church, if we go somewhere else, they may do church totally differently because they're in a different culture. But not only that, when we think about culture, uh, we think about the home that we, grow up, that, that we grew up in, you know, how our parents raised us. You know, uh, we think about the, the area of the country, for example, South, Flor South Floridians, of course, probably a lot different than Mississippians or even those uh, in Chicago where I grew up even prior to then. And so this culture begins to shape the way that we think. And a lot of times we don't even know it, right? Because it's the bubble that we live in. And right now, one thing that we have the privilege, but then it's also a, it's problematic to do, but we have the privilege to really live in very insulated bubbles. Because on all of our social media, you know, we tend to follow the people that think like us, that talk like us. We tend to, 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 to subscribe and, 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 and um, like tweets and like um, uh, news uh, services, all that report on the news that we want to hear. I mean, whether we want, you know, some, some news that's more right-leaning or left-leaning. And so we really can insulate ourselves and live in a bubble such that the culture that we live in would never be challenged, right? There's no way for me to get out of my culture because I put myself in a bubble between social media, my friends, of course, my family, the type of home that I grew up in. All these things define the culture in which I exist. And so if we think about that, this is another area. He's saying your enemies are going to be those in your own household. He says father against mother, mother against daughter, uh, all those kinds of things. He's saying I'm coming against the very culture in which you grew up in. Now, there's one uh, example that I could use right now that's really going to highlight this. Um, this past week, there was uh, the Supreme Court basically made a decision uh, on affirmative action, right? So they, they, the decision they made basically abolishes the use of affirmative action when it comes to making decisions about, you know, enrolling students into college. And so there is no more an opportunity for a university to use race as one of those factors. And so you think about this. When I say this, maybe some of you get upset, you know. Oh, we really need this affirmative action. They made a bad decision. Some of you say, oh, you know, affirmative action, that was a thing of the past. We're in 2023 right now. We no longer need that. Right. And that and you making those decisions, again, are based on your thoughts, but also based on the culture in which you live in. Maybe you come from the majority culture. The majority culture is going to think differently about this decisions than maybe the minority cultures. Right. Maybe you come from an Asian minority culture. Right. It was actually a group of um, 
you know, uh, Asians that basically brought on this uh, court case. But now if you're from this Asian minority, at least in America culture, you'll think differently about this decision than if you came up in black America, in black culture, right? Whether you grew up in the Northeast or the deep, deep South, whether you're primarily democratic or you're primarily liberal, you know, the idea is that based on your culture, your ideological mindset, the things that you grew up in, the, the circle that you hang around, when I say something about affirmative action, you'll feel either one way or the other. And now, I'm not saying I necessarily have the answer here or the scripture to tell you how you should think about this decision, but the idea is that Jesus still came to cut away any reliance on any systems or any cultures that we think that we need in order to succeed or survive. And so the only thing that I can say for me as a black man, you know, raising two black girls is that I'm raising them to follow Jesus, number one, but then to be exceptional, number two, right? So no matter what the situation is, no matter whether I agree or disagree, whether my wife agrees or disagree, whether anyone in here agrees or dis disagrees, we know that the situation is what it is right now. And I have to think about how do I live my life in this new environment, right? And I have to raise my kids to where they're going to grow up and maybe there is going to be lots of discrimination against them, but at the same time, I know that if they follow Jesus, right, and they put their minds on him and on him more than their own limitations, then his power can overcome any consequences, any obstacle, or anything that might come up in their lives. So if we focus on ourselves, you know, we're focusing on our own limitations and our problems, our issues are magnified. But if we focus on Jesus, if we focus on God, then his power will allow us to overcome. Amen. And so how do we apply this? How do we begin to apply this? Well, we have to look at Jesus, right? We have to look at Jesus. Jesus came to bring the sword. Let's put Hebrews chapter four up there. Hebrews chapter four, very familiar scripture. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12 says, for the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. So when we say that Jesus came to bring the sword, in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, I want you to come with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We're saying Jesus says that every decision, every way that I think about myself, the core of who I am, every way that I think about the comfort that I'm currently living in, every way that I think about my culture, you know, I have to cut or, 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 or judge that against what he says in his word. And so if we look at Jesus, he had to do this exact same thing. You know, in these three areas, he had to challenge, right? If we look at culture, we know how Jesus challenged the culture of the day. One of the things that he said, even thinking about his family, somebody, you know, he was in a particular place and they asked him, hey, your mother and your brothers are outside. Do you want them to come in? He says, no, let me tell you who my mothers and my brothers are. My brothers and my mother, my brother and my mother are those that do the will of my father. So he was even coming against his own family, not in a bad way, but just truthfully. If we think about the culture of his time, we know that there were Pharisees and Sadducees that basically led, you know, the Jewish or the Israelite people at the time in terms of, you know, customs and traditions and things like that. And so they often challenged Jesus because he did not line up with their culture. 
You know, he ate with sinners. Uh, He healed on the Sabbath. He challenged them on their culture and religious norms. In so many different ways, he challenged exactly everything that was going on. And of course, we know that he was persecuted because of it. And so if you think about that, one of the things that we have to do as believers, you know, making sure that we're making disciples and and, and, uh, making sure that this kingdom is uh, fulfilling the Great Commission, we have to be ready to challenge our culture that we live in. We have to be willing to get canceled for saying something, speaking the truth in love, not fighting, not arguing or anything like that. But we have to be willing to get canceled, you know, for the things that God has called us to do that line up with his word. Because the sword is the word of God. If it's not true, if it's not done in his word in a particular way, we don't want to do it in this church. We don't want to do it in our society. And we want to come against anything that does not line up with his word. What did Jesus do about comfort? Well, we know this, right? Jesus is the word. You know, in John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was was God. The word was with God. So Jesus became flesh to dwell among us. So Jesus, living in heaven with God, he's omnipresent, he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, he's everything, everywhere, because he is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit creating the earth and doing all these wonderful things. But then now he has to come and leave all that goodness to come and be tempted, to come and experience pain, to come and experience torment, to come and experience people's lives being destroyed, Jesus weeping because of these things. So the word of God left all that he had to come to this earth and save each and every one of us. So he gave up his comfort. And so what does that mean for us? You know, what does that mean for us? When we think about comfort, you know, and the Great Commission, you know, uh, Pastor Matt, who was our microchurch director one time, he said, you know, if you're too busy to make disciples, then you're just too busy. Like there's things that we need to cut away from our lives, the comforts that we need to cut away from our lives so that we can go and make disciples and fulfill the Great Commission, right? Thinking about Jesus, thinking about his core. You know, this is another one where he had to deny himself Right. He took up the cross. And of course, he followed, you know, the plan of God for his life. Uh, A very clear example of this one is when he was at the Garden of Gethsemane. Right. He said, Lord, you know, I don't want this to happen to me. I don't want to be crucified. Let this cup pass for me. But then he said, nevertheless, not my will, not who I think I am, but your will can be done. Right. Even in this very passage, you know, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He says, no, but I can deny that aspect of myself because today I'm coming to bring the sword. I'm going to tell you some things that maybe you don't want to hear, but we need to hear these things. That we as a people, and even as our church, uh, uh, church people can be very self-centered. We can be very focused on the things uh, on, on us. You know, our families, me making sure that I have, you know, all my kids' needs met, me me making sure that I have all my needs met, and we tend to ignore the things that the church needs as a whole, right, in terms of serving in the church, in terms of us going out and going out of ourselves to make disciples and supporting missions. And I know we endeavor to do all those things here at Greenhouse Church, and so in some ways, I could be speaking to the crop. Um, uh, you know, speaking to the choir, but at the same time, we always have to check ourselves, right? And so what is the kind of the core piece of application for this? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, we really have to sit down 
And if we think about, you know, this idea of uh, culture, whether it's the American dream and how I do my job, whether it's me thinking about how I relate to my family at home, whether, things, whether I have to think about how I am on mission, I really need to sit down and pray and ask God, Lord, is there anything that I'm doing that, that is focusing me totally on me and not what you would have me to do? Is there any way that I think about myself or my culture? Are there any groups that I'm a part of? Is there anything that I need to cut away because it disagrees or goes against with your word and your will for me? And that's really what I want you to do this week. That's why I want you to, to apply this message. And, you know, if we think about Jesus, he is just so amazing, right? I said, if John, you know, would come up here and ask you, uh, Pastor John came up here and asked you, hey, I want you to not deny all and follow me. You know, love me more than you love your parents. Love me more than you love your children. Love me and follow me and, and, and deny yourself. Quit your job so that you can serve me. You would look at Pastor John like he was crazy. But the reason why Jesus can ask us that is because he did all those things. Because he is so amazing. He is so great and so mighty. Hebrews chapter um, Hebrews chapter 1, we'll look at verses 3 and 4. And just looking at Jesus, you know, this is a man that can ask all of us because he is such a great and a mighty God. He can, he can point to himself. He can be offensive. He can be all these things because he is the Lord God Almighty. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Jesus has been given a name above every name on heaven and earth and under the earth, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Amen. Lastly, Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, again, talking about Jesus, he has every right to ask all of us because, again, it says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Amen. So Jesus came to bring the sword. He came for us to say, you know, to, to, to tell us even today that we really need to reflect and think about our lives in such a way that there has to be something that we need to cut away, right? If I am not serving him, if I am not making disciples, if I am not doing the things that I know his word has called me and commissioned me to do, then there is something that has to give. It's whether, I, you know, me thinking about how I identify myself, uh, maybe it's the, the people that I hang around, maybe it's me thinking about my culture in a certain way or my comfort, any of these things, but I have to begin to sacrifice myself so that I can better serve him. And so what I want to do, I know we had a, a bunch of time in, in prayer and we had a lot of needs uh, to be prayed for uh, earlier, but if there's anyone else in here, whether it's you know something said in this message or whether it's something that hadn't been called, I do want to call our prayer partners up and just really have an opportunity for us to, to really receive more of him, uh, to receive prayer and anything that we might need uh, prayer for. If you are new to the church, if you are new to um, following Jesus and maybe if there's any part of this message that may have been challenging or you really just want to receive him 
and come to know him and to make sure that you have a personal relationship with him. Of course, as we dismiss today, we want to invite you up. Again, I bring greetings from our Gainesville campus. It's really been great to be down here with you. Um, and um, yeah, I just want to say thank you for, for welcoming me. And, and hopefully this, uh, this, this word, this message, you know, at least allows us to reflect on ourselves and reflect on our lives. So if you do need prayer, please come forward for everyone else. We love you and God bless you. Uh, make sure for all the first-time guests that you stop at our New Here area uh, at the end of service. But if you do need prayer, come join us at the front. God bless you. You are dismissed.